0: Hey good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here. really glad that you are worshiping with us today and if you were here uh, during the uh, like the little welcome time you you heard Brandy say that we're talking about sex today. If you didn't, you just heard me say it. So we are talking about sex today and um, some of you may be wondering why we're talking about sex today. Uh, the easiest answer is it's in the Bible and we teach the Bible, so we'll give you that one for easy uh, easy but um also tell you this, I, I don't know what um, I don't know what your experience was like when you were a kid, um. But my dad, he was a great dad in 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 a lot of ways, but um, let's just say that the sex talk that he gave me was was a little awkward. And I remember where I was, I was sitting on a stool at the bar, and he was in the kitchen on the other side of the bar, and he was incredibly nervous, and that made me really nervous. And he was talking, I don't remember anything really that he said, except that he kept using the word organ over and over again. Like, you've got an organ, and she's got an organ, and the organs come together. And let me tell you something, I only knew one definition of the word organ. And it was the pipe organ that they played... At church, and I didn't have one, and I know where she had one, and I just didn't understand. And then after it was over, he asked me if I had any questions, and I didn't. And um, we were both done, and we were both happy that the conversation was over. So that was once. The second one, um, in fifth grade, I don't know what's for you, fifth grade is when our school decided to talk to us about sex. And they split guys and girls. The girls were in one classroom with the teachers, and then the principal was with the guys in this room, and I don't remember much about it, except I remember he would use all the, like, the, the, the real names for, for the parts, the organs, if you will. Um, he, he would use all these, and, and then we had no idea what he was talking about, and he would ask, does anybody know the common word for that and a lot of us like "Mm." and there was this one guy I remember exactly who it was he was sitting at the front he always knew and he would raise his hand and he would say the word that we use and he would say it and then we would all just laugh so I learned a lot there too and finally it leads me to what I learned about sex at church which was don't don't It's bad. Did you know it's bad? It's bad. You shouldn't do it because it's bad. It's so bad. Bad, don't. God doesn't like it. God doesn't like it when you do it. Why would you even think about it? You're bad for even wanting to do it. Bad, bad, bad. Don't, don't, don't. And so that, for the most part, is the culmination of my um, sexual learning and understanding over uh, a good portion of my life. So it would be no surprise then if I were to tell you that I spent uh, most of my teenage years, really all of my teenage years, all the way into college, all the way up into the first few years of my marriage, completely and totally confused. Um, not knowing what sex is, not understanding my own sexuality, certainly not understanding the difference, differences of my own wife's sexuality. And now I am, I am simply going off what I would consider my instincts, and I don't know what you think about your natural instincts, but my natural instincts are not healthy. And for those, uh, for, for for a lot of those years, let's just say that I did some damage, and some damage was done to me. And um, your story may be a little bit different, but I would be, uh, I'm very confident that there's some similar stories in here just a lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of hurt, a lot of brokenness. Um. My, my, my guess is, is that, there, that for some of us, just even the mention or the idea of the word sex brings a lot of shame because of some of, the, some of our past, some of the things that we've done or something that has been done to us. And so we feel all this hurt and, and, and shame and there's just been all this destruction. And You talk to enough people, you, t- you, you interact with enough marriages and you just realize, man, this is just, this is just undoing us. It is, it, is, it is breaking down marriages. And because we don't know what sex is, we, we, you know, we, we got two people who barely know each other just interacting with each other's bodies. And we, we say, well, that's, that's sex. Or a guy by himself with a computer in the dark watching this. Well, th- this is sex. And what I'm doing with myself, that's, that's sex. That's what this is. And, and we have these completely warped ideas about what it's supposed to be. And this thing that is so precious to God and so valuable to us, we we don't understand it. And it's just causing destruction everywhere. That's why we talk about it. And we talk about it because, in fact, what God has for us is an amazing alternative. He was not shy to talk about it. This book that we're looking at in Song of Solomon is just vivid. I, I I would use the word... I, this word has a negative connotation to it in some ways when we talk about sex, but I would describe this book as explicit. It is very vivid. It brings life to the idea of sex, and 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 he's painting a picture here for us of what God really wants for us in the area of sexual intimacy. And so, before we get into that, in in Song of Solomon chapter four, uh, I say this. I say this every year. We talk about sex usually at least once a year. And I say this every year, and, and every year I say it, it becomes more and more controversial. And I, I want to say it because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time, we as a church, when we talk about sex, we don't spend a whole lot of time talking a lot about what it's not supposed to be and making you feel bad about things that you've done that you are wrong, and that we want to make sure that we are very clear and we get really passionate about what wrong sex is. But I want to make sure that we're clear. When we, as, we as, as God's people here at the Grove Church, we talk about sex, this is what sex God intended it to be. It's intended to be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Anything other than that is a misuse of this thing that God has created for us, that's sex. Now, for some of you, uh, that feels very personal and maybe a little bit hurtful. And if that's the case, and we have not had the opportunity to talk about it personally, some of us have, I would love to talk with you more about that. For some of you, it's not personal, but it's still a little confusing, a little hurtful. It seems a little too... Countercultural, or whatever, and you want to talk about it, I would love to talk about it with you too. But we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it, because I think the church historically has spent too much time talking about what sex is not supposed to be, and not enough time talking about what it is. So at the end of chapter 3, um, all the way, we'll talk about, Mark talked about this last week, and chapter 1 and chapter 2, they're kind of courting, they're getting to know each other, and there's this phrase that keeps getting repeated: to not awaken, uh, not awaken love uh, until the right time, and so they're waiting. They're waiting for their wedding day, which is a beautiful picture. And then you go into chapter three. You have this moment where she's she's alone, and she's like, she's wondering where he is. Where is he? Where is he? I miss him. I want to see him. I, I want him. I want him. Where is he? And and we're, and it turns out we're building towards their wedding day because then he appears in this really kind of uh, uh, elaborate kind of carriage that he's brought in it's surrounded by 60 of his of his men fully armed and he's wearing this wedding crown so we're experiencing their wedding day and this and this huge joy that she has now that she is finally going to get connected with her man and now we move into chapter 4 verse 1 it is now no longer wedding day but it is wedding evening and again i want you to be very clear on a couple of things this is Pretty explicit, and two, it's in the Bible. Like, I want you to always kind of think, Anytime I say something and I'm reading something I explain to you what it means, I want you to remember, this is in the Bible, right? I'm just teaching the Bible today. That's all we're doing. Verse one, how beautiful you are. This is him looking at her. Again, they're alone, and we'll just call it the honeymoon suite. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are dove's. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to laugh at the compliments that just don't make any sense, and I'm not going to work real hard to try to make some of them make sense. We'll just go on. Your hair is like goats. That's great. Number two, verse two. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Now, I do want to explain this one to you. Because what he's saying here, he's talking about how clean her teeth are. And he says each one's got the twin. He's like, baby, you got all your teeth. And they clean. Like if there's, a, if there's something that we can relate to here in Arkansas, it's that. I mean, that's a powerful compliment, right? You got all your teeth, baby, and you wash them. You're the best. You're the best. I'm so lucky. Verse 3. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Now, we may not understand all of the metaphors here, but you get a picture of what's really happening here. They are alone um, in, in, in the honeymoon suite, and he's looking at her. And he's like, your hair's real nice. Your eyes are pretty. Your lips are pretty. Your neck is pretty. You see where we're heading, right? Take a deep breath. Verse 5. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. So again, I want to explain this one. I mean, essentially what he's saying about his breasts. I mean, like, they're completely beautiful. They are soft. They are tender. They're precious. Like, 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 again, like, not just a deer, but like a baby deer, like two baby deers. They are just precious and soft. And amazing, he's standing here and she obviously is naked and he is describing how beautiful she is. And then what does he say in verse 6? And I think this is really important. Because again, to make sure we understand, because there are some metaphors that translate. He's talking about breasts. Verse 7, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain and to the hill. So what he's saying is, I like your breasts. And then he says, until the day breaks, I'm going to be in the mountains. (laughs) All night long, me, you, and your breasts, we're going to have a great time all night long. Because you are beautiful to me. There is not a flaw in you. But we're, we've got some, I mean, we, we haven't even, I mean, it, would you believe me if I said we haven't gotten to the steamy part yet? But there's something really amazing that's happening right here that I think that we need to make sure that we understand, if we're going to understand what really godly, awesome, powerful sex is supposed to look like, and the first thing is this, is that we need to pati- appre- patiently appreciate each other's differences. So he walks in, and now She's naked. Now, again, what a guy would would be more inclined to do, hey, there are no restraints. Your your wife is naked. You do whatever it is you think you want to do. What is a guy typically going to do? He's just going to go for it. Hey, look at you. You're naked. I'm naked. Let's go. But what does he do? He takes a step back. He stops. He He takes some time to admire her. You are, you are beautiful. He knows that while he, as a guy, may have a more instantaneous sexual response, he understands that his wife is different and she needs a bit more of a slow build. And so rather than just kind of jumping straight into it, he slows down, takes his time a little bit. But then we also see... Um, her appreciating him a little bit. And my wife and I, we, we joke about this, that there's two kinds of compliments that I give to my wife. There's the ones that I want to give my wife, and there's the ones that my wife wants to hear from me. Right? I would imagine that I would, I would not be surprised by the results of a poll by how many of you women really like it when your husband would say to you, man, I really like your boobs. Man, your boobs are... Woo! I mean, it's like... This is what he does... But, she appreciates the fact that he's incredibly visual. And she is letting him be visual. The thing that he is that he notices, the thing that really catches his eye, he says that to her and she lets him. There's no there's no there's no judgment there. He understands she needs a bit of a slow build. She understands that he is very physically aroused by what he sees. And so there's a mutual appreciation for how each one of them is different. And so I think we all understand this. Maybe we do. I hope we do. If not, I'll say it. That there are two very different types of sex drives in a marriage relationship. The the husband and the wife are very different. The husband can go from minding his own business to completely aroused and ready to have sex in an instant. But a wife isn't that way. We'll just say it. It's more of a slow build for her. So I ask you a rhetorical question, which one of those sex drives is the right sex drive? It's a rhetorical question, I hope that you understand that it is, because there is no right one, but our culture at different times has taught us different things. At times, for the most part, our culture has told us that the husband's sex drive is the normal one, that it's very normal to go from minding your own business to immediately sexually aroused and going into very intense sexual acts. The whole porn industry is built on that. But it's not just simply the porn industry. You can, you can watch just what you would consider to be a normal television show or a normal movie. And it is amazing to me the number of times that two people are just minding their own business, living their life, or maybe even having some sort of fight, and then one instant, boom, snap your fingers, somebody is swiping everything off the desk, and we're having sex right there on the desk. Now it's a joke now in our house. I pause it every time, and I look at my wife. It's like, is there anybody doing that? <laughs> like anyone? Is this really happen? Where you're like, no one's really thinking about sex, and then suddenly, boom, both of them are. I I, I totally get how a guy, if a woman did that, would be like, well, I wasn't thinking that, but I'm ready instantly. If this is where we're doing it and how we're doing it, I'm 100% in. But it doesn't work the other way. But you show it enough times, and a woman can become convinced that that is the right way. A husband can come convinced, like, how come you aren't like all of the women that I see here? And so we begin to describe women who have very normal, slow-billed sex drives. We begin to describe them as frigid, cold, and distant. And we do a lot of damage to women by telling them that. But there's a bit of a countercultural movement, too, that says that because guys are so instantly interested in sex and so want sex at a different pace, at a different time, maybe a little different levels of intensity, and because they can go from zero to 60 so quickly, that the counterculture tells us well, really, what that tells us is that men are perverts. Men are perverted, and, and women begin to believe that there's something wrong with their man because he does not have the slow romance build naturally in him. There's something wrong. He is, he is selfish. He is perverted. Or we can even get to the point to say that then, then because a man is like that, he is necessarily predatorial. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't predatorial men anymore than I'm not saying that there aren't women that need a little help with their own sex drive. But I'm telling you, once we've decided that Because a man is different than a woman, there is something wrong with the man. Or we've decided because a woman doesn't have a sex drive the same as a man, there is something wrong with the woman. We've got a real problem because real intimacy and passionate sex comes from a deeper appreciation of the other's differences. Intimacy works because of these differences, the emotional differences, the physical differences. When I slow down and wait for my wife and I take the time to get her to where I am, the sex is immensely better. And when she lets me have the freedom to be an assertive pursuer of her, and I don't feel any guilt and shame, and in fact, rather than being a little weirded out by it, appreciates that she has a husband that is so into her, the intimacy builds. So, she'll be walking around, Minding her own business, looking in a way that I find amazing, and I'll say something to her, and then she'll give me that—that that makes me a little uncomfortable. Look, you know the look I'm talking about. It. You have both given and received that look. She gives me that look, and I say, "Oh, okay, I, I, I forgot." I will just ho hum, same old wife, same old body. Who even cares? And we joke about that because that's like that's the alternative. You want me into you. And she gets it, and it's a joke. But she recognizes that I'm very different, and I appreciate that about her. Because then as a guy, what I do is I learn to appreciate the pursuit. This is a challenge. At the end of this challenge is a a beautiful, amazing, sexy, intimate prize that only I can have. And if I do the work and I pursue her and love her well, at the end, something incredible is going to happen. And I'm not going to get frustrated with her because it, take, it takes a little work. That's ridiculous. I've joked about this before. We've talked about it here before if you've been around where um, there's this thing. It happened about 10 years ago. I was watching a show on Netflix and um, folding, folding some laundry. And my wife walks past and is like, oh, are you trying to romance me? And I'm like, I am now. <laughs> And and laundry kind of became a thing. It's like if if I really want to communicate sexual pursuit to my wife, helping out and doing more chores than I normally would was a real, uh, very attractive to her. But We've been married over 25 and a half years now, and I've noticed that in different seasons of life, uh, different things are attractive to my wife. And in this particular season, the doing of chores has lost a little bit of its sexual luster. It's amazing to me that it ever had any sexual luster, but I was never complaining about it. Well, am I going to get frustrated with her? Honey, I folded all that laundry today. Where are you at? Well, no, I learn. I understand. It's like in this era, my wife, with kids in college and, and this, and she's working and all these things, it is a different way, and that's beautiful because she's so different, and I love pursuing her. And at the same time, she learns to appreciate that there is someone in our relationship that is constantly pursuing deeper and better sexual intimacy. If we were both like one of us, the intimacy would be greatly diminished. We continue on here, verse 8. Um, it is still Solomon talking. <coughs> Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of leopards. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine, and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice." We need to give him credit here, for one, for kind of switching his compliments a little bit, right? He's not talking about our body anymore. He's talking about the, the more emotional side of their relationship, that, that love, that emotional connection. But there's something else here that I think that's important. That verse 8's kind of weird. He's like, hey, you're kind of in this mountain. I want you to come down from this mountain or this other mountain or this other mountain. I want you to get away from the lions. I want you to get away from the leopards. And I want you to come down here to where I am. Whatever dangerous place you may feel like you are, whatever dangerous things are happening to you, I want you to come down here to me because when you are with me, you are safe. And so not only is it important that we appreciate each other's differences, it's also very important that we provide safety and vulnerability. He's saying to her, you may be in a place right now where you feel attacked. You may feel like that there are people out to get you. You may have lived an entire life, and Mark alluded to this a little bit in chapter 1. She didn't feel beautiful. She felt a little bit oppressed by her dad and her brothers. He's like, you can come down from all of these places and all of these people who have hurt you, and you can come to me, and you will always be safe. And I cannot emphasize enough with you guys how incredibly important it is that you create a safe, emotional and physical environment for your wife. I cannot say it enough. I cannot describe it enough. Can you imagine and I say this to guys like when we're doing pre-marriage counseling or talking to a marriage uh, maybe in trouble, I'm trying to talk to the guy about sexuality. I talk about this a lot. I mean, Just just try to imagine, guys, how incredibly vulnerable sex is for a woman. She is completely naked. She is completely alone. And someone larger and stronger than her has now entered into the room. He can do to her whatever he wants. There is nothing keeping him from doing to her physically or emotionally whatever he chose to do. And there she is, completely exposed, in the most vulnerable of positions, saying, I trust you to do well with me. I trust you to love me well. I trust you to protect me. That is the environment that you have to create for your spouse. I will not say anything, and I will not do anything physically to you that will hurt you. You are 100% safe with me. You'll notice, as he's describing, as he's going, starting at the hair, going back, he's not like, man, I really like your hair, and your eyes. I don't know, you kind of got a little chin thing going, and I don't know, your shoulders, I don't know, and you kind of, I like, I like your breasts for sure, but you got a little something, something. I, you will undo your wife. Do not ever Critique her. What does he say? You are flawless in every way. You work on that one. And then emotionally and physically, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to do anything to you that we are not doing together. You are safe with me, both in my words and with my hands. You're safe. Mostly that's a message for the guys, but I think there's a a similar thing that the ladies need to understand. Um, a guy feels pretty vulnerable in sex too. And I've said some things and they laugh, they get they get they get the laugh lines as they're kind of describing sex. And this is gonna get a laugh line, but I don't necessarily mean it in a funny way, but we'll just anyways. So uh, imagine sex. so so she's she's very vulnerable. He's there naked now too. And can we just be honest? It ain't pretty. You just look at it and it's like, Like you pretty, but this ain't pretty, right? And so, but he feels very vulnerable because most guys are very insecure uh, uh, about their masculinity, ab- about the size, about the performance, about all of it. And he feels like he is—he's—he's he's walking towards you. He's like, "Do you accept this?" It's incredibly vulnerable, and you and you receive him, and you say, "I would never reject that." that is mine, it is a precious gift. So then we find ourselves in a very different kind of situation where a husband, in order to provide safety and protection for his wife, will will never put himself on his wife at a time or in a way that makes her feel uncomfortable. And And a wife would never reject the intimate advances of her husband. And so then we work it out the other way. Rather than everybody trying to force their way on the other one, We're working together trying to figure out, I mean, how can I respect the fact that it's going to take you a bit, and how can I appreciate admire the fact that you're trying to get me someplace that maybe I'm not quite mentally ready to go. And working together, we build a deeper level of intimacy. Now, we'll wrap it up here, uh, this last passage, part of the passage in verse 11. It's, It's him still talking, and she's going to wrap it up. And I'm telling you, it's about to get crazy intense. Your your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. So he's already tasting whatever it is she's holding under her tongue. So that's where we are. They are kissing in a very passionate way. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your, Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates and choice fruits with henna and nard, nard and saffron. Basically, he's talking about here in verse 13, he's talking about everything that's between her legs. He's talking about it using these incredible spices and all these smells and experiences. Verse 15, you are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. So he's making all these descriptions. There's a few metaphors here we need to make sure we understand. One is well spring metaphors. And you'll find this in Proverbs 2 when it talks about sexuality. Just say this, a well receives water and a spring shoots it out. And those two things go together. The spring fills the well with water. Okay? And what he's describing her as is you are a well that is supposed to be fed by a spring but is currently locked up, waiting for the spring to come. You are a garden, a garden referring to all of her sexual parts, a a, a place where fruit grows and there's, there's growth and fruit. And he's saying, you are all of these things and everything about this is beautiful and amazing and I want to experience it in every way. And then her response to him is this, verse 16, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden. That its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. It would be almost impossible for me to overstate the level of sexual imagery and intensity in those few verses. My garden, all of my female anatomy... Everything that you see, this garden, it is yours. I want you to take it. I want you to blow on it. I want you to taste it. All of its fruit and everything that it is, is fully yours. And I want you to totally experience everything that there is about me. Last point, passionately embrace intimacy. We talk about sex like it's about what you do to have babies We talk about sex It's like well yeah I mean it's not just for babies God made it, God made it where it would feel good So that you would then also want to have babies You know they haven't talked about having one baby Not one time has it come up All they are talking about Is the incredible physical and emotional And intense passion That comes from intimacy between two different people Who appreciate those differences, Who are completely trustworthy in, the, in, the, in vulnerability And passionately experiencing each other no one is doing their duty to the other one. No one is, is, is just kind of, well, I mean, it's kind of my thing. Thanks for being there for me. We're talking about an incredible passion that is limitless. There is no limit to the experience of passion and intimacy put on this passage. I'll give you one small caveat, but we've already talked about it. The limit is we've got to get there together. And the more aggressive of you is never going to take your spouse somewhere that they're not ready to go. And so we're never going to do that. But do not let anything in your past, don't let anything in your head, don't let any idea that you have think that God somehow is wanting to restrain the level of passion and intimacy that a man and a woman can have in their marriage. It would take me days to explain and talk through the depths of the intimacy that are described here. And so we want to pursue more, greater, more passionate intimacy with each other. And I'm convinced of this. I I said this to my wife the other day and it embarrassed her, so I'll say it public. I'm convinced that in 30 years, Our sex is going to be better than it ever was. That we're going to know each other better. It's going to be more passionate. It's going to be better. I'm convinced. Because the reason I know that is because at 25 years, it's better than it's ever been. I don't have as much energy. She didn't have as much energy. We're tired. We got the kids and all the things. All the reasons. Things are sore and I'm old and, and tired and all the things. But I know her so much better. And she knows me so much better and we're pursuing this together and the passion and the depth and the intimacy is greater than it's ever been. And I have no reason to believe that it's not going to continue to be so. Don't settle. Don't settle for something less than that. Pursue that. And so as we wrap things up and we start to pray and think about kind of what the application are, I mean, I, mean, the, I mean, the one application would be like, go apply this vigorously, right? Just, just go, go do it. The other thing that I would say is that, man, th- there's no doubt this has exposed some hurt, some pain, some brokenness from the past, some of which was done before you got married, some of it was done, you've done to each other. And we've got to learn to heal and we've got to learn to talk it out. Um, I, I, would in, I would encourage you. One of the best things that can happen from this is to talk to somebody. Talk to each other. I mean, talk to each other. talk to each other. Have a conversation. What are the things that are holding our intimacy back? What are the things that could help us get to the next level? What? Talk it out. And if you find yourself stuck, come talk to one of us. we would glad to help you. because I think we just we've put so many faults, barriers, Paper mache walls and doors around what we can experience in our sexual intimacy that God is wanting us to break down. But it is going to take us time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take grace with each other. It's going to take healing and forgiveness. But let's, again, let's with passion, let's pursue all of that. Because God has something better in store for you than what so many of us have been have been settling for. Let's pray. God I thank you Thank you for today I thank you for the people Who are here Even the people Who are accidentally here And God I pray I just know that From beginning to end There have been things here That have been exciting to us A vision of, of something Different and better But God there's also been Some hurt that has been exposed Some things that we need To heal from And God, I pray that we would not be afraid to confront anything that is holding us back or has hurt us. And that God, we would, we would vigorously pursue passionate, connected intimacy with our spouse. And God, I thank you. I thank you for putting this book there in your word. That we don't have to feel weird or perverted at all about any of these things, God, that you said these things. And God, I pray that you would just help us break down the barriers and pursue incredible intimacy with our spouse. And we love you, God. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.